the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, we're getting really personal in this season on the podcast, and today we go behind the scenes with Judah and Chelsea Smith. Literally, they recorded this from their bedroom. We talk about, no, not not that, okay, but it was great. And we talk about the personal side of leadership, the ups and downs of marriage and doing ministry together, leading on empty and navigating the world of celebrity. By the way, thank you for listening. And if you happen to be subscribing to my YouTube channel, we have some great moments that you get, you got to see the whole thing on YouTube. But anyway, really glad you're here. Want to thank you for supporting our partners. We have 10 by 10. Do you know that they are on a mission to reach 10 million young people over the next 10 years? You can help. Visit 10x10.org. That's T-E-N times one zero dot org to learn more and Convoy of Hope. Man, I love Convoy and what they're doing around the world. Already, they've responded to more than 65 disasters this year. If you want to support them, you or your organization, business or church, go to convoy.org slash carry. Well, Judah and Chelsea Smith uh, are the couple that really doesn't need a big introduction. Judah is the lead communicator at Church Home. He is a preacher, author, and speaker who captivates audiences with his uplifting messages on the way of Jesus and spirituality. As a lead communicator of Church Home, he guides a church that really embraces cultural relevance while maintaining a strong foundation in biblical integrity and love for Jesus. It's a flourishing community with multiple locations and a widely used global app. And Chelsea Smith is the lead theologian. She's a gifted pastor and speaker. She is passionate about the message of Jesus, and her ministry is noted for down-to-earth wisdom, authenticity, and strong faith. Plus, she also has a great Marriage Monday on Instagram. If you follow that, I do. And I'm so glad to sit down and spend some time with them today. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're glad you're here. Please take a minute to subscribe and um, hit us up with a rating and review or on social because we'd love to hear from you. Well, did you know that starting today, 10 by 10, a diverse collaboration initiative is answering the call to help faith matter more to the next generation. And you know, I share in that passion. We bring a lot of interviews to this, but we got to go beyond interviews. So with more than 1 million young people walking away from their faith every single year, 10 by 10 is rallying all parts of the church to prioritize the discipleship of the next gen. In the spirit of John 10.10, this initiative provides vision, resources, and training to help jumpstart youth ministries toward relational discipleship. As they strive to reach 10 million young people over the next 10 years, you are invited to join the movement and ensure this generation has access to the abundant life that Jesus offers them. So go to 10by10.org. That's T-E-N-X. One zero dot org. I'll say that one more time. T E N times that's an X one zero dot org, and you can learn more about the mission and how you too can answer the call to help faith matter to more of our young people. Well, you see it every day: earthquakes, flood, hurricanes, fires. It feels like every week there's another catastrophe, and even though these kinds of disasters are often unpredictable, there is one thing you can count on, and that is during times of crisis, convoy of hope shows up. They show up with food, water, hygiene kits, and other essential relief. And, you know, some of you have been involved in natural disasters. I mean, statistically, that's true. And maybe you've been helped by Convoy. And you know what? It's probably only a matter of time until many of us have need 
like that. So Convoy actually uses a global network of churches to help provide hope where it's needed most. Best of all, they understand where true hope, living hope comes from, and they work to ensure that everybody understands that too. This year, Convoy has responded to more than 65 disasters and humanitarian crises, many of which never hit the news cycle. If your business, church, or even you as an individual want to support Convoy, go to convoy.org slash carry. That's convoy.org slash C-A-R-E-Y. Well, now my really refreshing and honest conversation with Judah and Chelsea Smith. Judah and Chelsea, good to have you guys on, man. Welcome. Hey, hey, thank you so much for having us. It's such an honor. What you are doing in the body of Christ is the body of Christ. It's really significant. So thank you. We're honored to be here. I would like to start, Carrie, by saying I trust your podcast in the faith space more than any other podcast in the entire ether. And uh, I've had the privilege of being with you personally. And uh, I love you and your wife. I trust you. And I just want to say thank you for being a bastion of hope and truth and honesty and transparency. And um, Chelsea and I are on this podcast because we have an affinity for you and your wife. Well, thank you. It was wonderful to spend a few days together uh, earlier this year and get to know you. And, you know, it's always a shock for me because here I am in my basement. You're in your bedroom, for those of you watching on YouTube. (laughs) Found that out. And you got to say, okay, you got your names on the wall, but you sleep on the opposite side. That was one of my questions, right? I sleep under Chelsea and she sleeps under Judah. And that's the way it should be. Yes, but I have. Yeah, it's so weird that we sleep with our name in lights. But um, well, we never turn the lights on. Just like that matters. You know? Right. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of fun, right? But it's like if we were saying one of those things, like once you pick a side of the bed as a couple, like you're there forever. You're just locked in. Forever. Yeah. I cannot remember the last time we accidentally switched sides. Like it has not happened. It would feel even at I, hotels, right? You end up taking that would be like quote, your side. Birth of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. So. Once in a while in a hotel, because Tony's Tony's always cold. I'm always hot. If it's, you know, you got the AC breathing down on one side of the bed, we might switch for a night oh, or something good, like that. Yeah. But, or like someone told me instead of going on vacation, they just switch sides of the bed. Huh. huh. I don't, well, I don't that's that fits me. the budget, you know. <laughs> that's about as much change as we can handle, right? Uh, listen, so I I I was going to start in a different place, but we were chatting while we were getting ready to record. You just did something you've never done in how many years of marriage? You took a couple of months off. You want to talk about that? Two months off. So we've been full-time in ministry for 23 years, almost 24, Mm. and worked for the same organization, which makes us feel old and it feels like a life accomplishment. (laughs) Don't look old. (laughs) I don't think we've ever taken more than a few weeks off, and it was really... It was life-changing for us. We took two months off. The only thing we had on our schedule that we couldn't change was a wedding in Italy, which is a great place to have a wedding. Mm-hmm. So we spent the first couple of weeks in a little Airbnb in Tuscany, just the two of us in the middle of nowhere. Here's the best part. And if uh-huh. I could bring up my husband, Judah left his phone at home for the two months. So it was- I mean, I don't want to brag, Carrie. You get it, you know? <laughs> two months- you. No Let phone. me tell you, if there are guys out there wanting to save their marriage, I am telling you, if you want to restore the respect of your spouse for you, 
leave your phone somewhere, travel across the world. And obviously budget has to be considered here, but we have the privilege and the opportunity. We got the cheapest little Airbnb you've ever seen. And yet it was awesome in the middle of the countryside of some European village somewhere. And uh, it was a very cost-effective experience, but also life transforming. and, and, And honestly, Everything was great until we had to go to a wedding and include people into our space. So um, <laughs> we loved every minute. Those that month of just you and me was. Um, I, I to be honest, I, I would go back today. Yeah, I felt like afterwards I realized, oh, I like myself, and I like my husband, and I like who we are. Yeah, and we really do love Jesus. And it just just took some time to realize that. I think in the hustle and bustle and the ministry demands that we face every day, sometimes we can forget those things. And it was really amazing to remember them. It was. What what prompted you to decide to take that kind of extended break? So our, we have, I, I love our team, David Kroll, who's a friend yeah. of yours, who you got on the podcast, is an amazing CEO. And nice. he's really made sure that we have great benefits for our team. And a sabbatical is actually one of the benefits, taking four, four weeks to eight weeks off, depending on tenure. And realizing that all these other staff members are getting to do this, but Judah and I have never done it. So it was kind yeah. of like, wait a second, wait, let's take advantage of this benefit. Yeah, we're dealers, but are we users, you know? So we uh, started using. Yeah. Great. Was was it like how tired, scale of one to 10, 10 being totally energized, ready to go, one being I'm so burned out, I don't want to get out of bed. Scale of one to 10, how are each of you feeling heading into the two months off? Mm. I will say my dad, I have a great relationship with my parents. My dad will also ask me hard questions. And he and I were talking about this one day. And I realized, I told my dad about it two two months before. So dad, I feel like for the first time in my leadership, I'm leading from empty. And I'm wow. giving things that I don't necessarily have to give. And you know, we know enough car analogies that when you try to run a car, not just on empty gas, but without oil and without that lubricant, that's when serious engine damage can be done. And I I felt that pull of leading from empty. And I realized I never want to get back to that space again. I never want to get to where I'm leading from empty. Um, So I was, I was, whatever a negative is, I would say I was there. (laughs) I would say, I would say, Carrie, to answer your question, you know, maybe it's a three or four, but that three or four had me in my savings account. You know, my metaphor mm. would be called the bank metaphor. And I think, you know, the checking and, 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 and the savings, right? And, and and I think we're supposed to lead from our checking account. But yeah. but I think a lot of leaders are into their savings. And the thing about savings mm. is once the savings is out, you don't have any more food on the table or roof over your head. And I think a lot of leaders are, are they're into their reservoir, they're into their savings account. And then suddenly... They bankrupt, and we're all like, "What a shock!" When, when in reality, it, it actually wasn't a shock. It happened about three and a half years before that, when they started down the four, three, two, one path, and then they're in their savings account. And um, you can only live on your savings for so long. Yeah. Well, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I have been there, <laughs> leading on on a zero or a one. And deep into my savings account with about 32 cents left. And, uh, you know, I know what that's, I know what that feels like. So this is with a lot of empathy. What happens like when you're at a three out of 10 or you're running without engine oil? 
How does that manifest in your life? Because one of the big surprises, right? Like, and fortunately, a lot of pastors get sabbatical. A lot of leaders take sabbatical. I've never done two full months off, but I've done a month off. A lot of people don't even realize how tired they are until they stop. And then they're like, whoa, what just happened? What, how does that manifest? Mm-hmm. I think, thank you for asking, because I think we've got to identify signs and signals so, yep. so that people know, right? I mean, the, when a turn signal no longer works in your vehicle, you need to go get it fixed. It's one of the things you need. You know, you can almost maybe live without the horn, but you got to have the signals uh-huh. so that people know where you're moving. And I think we, some of the signs and signals that we had is, for instance, you start to despise the very thing you love. Like the thing that used to just move you mm-hmm. and get you so pumped, you're now like, do I have to preach another sermon? You're like, well, well, buddy, you you love preaching. Like you love turning the lights on for people, you know, through through verbal communication. And now you're despising it. So I think to any preacher, communicator, leader, thinker out there, innovator, when you start to despise, and, and hate is not the word I want to use, despise, mm-hmm. because despising mm-hmm. is that like emotional disposition where you start to feel like, you know, I'm not being compensated enough, whatever that means. I don't even mean sure. monetary, but I'm just, people aren't liking me enough. No one no. appreciates me. No one values me. And you start to get that kind of that edgy thing. And by the way, if you're like me, preaching and ministering from that place um, can be really reckless and destructive and, and, and detrimental to to people who have really trusted you to pour, you know, uh, good water into their soul. Yeah, and isn't it crazy? We were so worried about what would people think, or would it would they feel like we weren't serving them by taking time off, by taking this extended time? When actually, since we've come home, we've realized that was the best thing that we could do for the people that God has entrusted us to serve yeah. is to actually take the time to meet with him, to rejuvenate, to to do that. But I just couldn't believe the resistance we felt internally to doing that. Oh, my word. Like we were giving up on everybody. And then we got home and everyone's like, you guys are heroes. This is the coolest thing ever. Thank you for doing that. And last night I was with some buddies who are professionals in their field. And they're like, dude, tell us more about that. You know technology. You didn't watch TV. You didn't have a cell phone. That's insane, bro. That's so sick. Tell us more. And you're like, Oh, that's weird. The very thing that like people love me for now, I thought they were going to hate me for. So who doesn't like someone you respect refueling? It's mm-hmm. very compelling. So I would say to everybody out there who's worried that when you go to refuel, that somehow people are going to, the people that don't like it probably were, were never into you to begin with. <laughs> no, that's right. I've got a very good friend who took three months off in 2022, very nervous about it. Like whole place is going to fall apart. You know, people are going to be resentful. And again, came back much healthier, very refreshed, did the work. And all he got was applause, no criticism. And now he's leading with a full tank into a high growth season. It's like incredible. I want to I want to drill down because I don't have a lot of couples who do ministry together on the podcast. So if you'll indulge me, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your job descriptions, your role at the church. You know, Chelsea, you and I were seated next to each other at dinner one night. And I mean, just an incredible mind for ministry. Definitely not just, you know, the name on the marquee, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to start with this. When your energy is low, what happens in your marriage? My wife wrote a book about it, so I think I'm, I'm allowed to ask the question. <laughs> what happens What happens to the two of you? And how long have you been married now? Uh, we've been married, it's almost 24 years. It'll be 24 years, November 5th. Congrats. And so that feels, what's our, it's our Kobe year? It's our Kobe year, 24, oh, baby. Go. 
Right. Sorry, American basketball reference. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm I'm like sports agnostic, but I'm sure my whole audience that got is, that. I know who Kobe is. He's not I know atheist, who. So. Uh (laughs) I think one of the difficulties about being in ministry together that we have found, especially in this last season, is that when things are hard at church, they're hard for both of us. And normally, if that person you would come to for comfort is going through the same stuff and feeling like we don't have any comfort to give each other. And I would say this past year was the first time that we felt like it was hard to give each other comfort during the difficult seasons of ministry. And for the first time I understood, I can't off the top of my head remember what the statistic is, but parents who mm. lose a child, it's so hard for them to stay together because yeah. you're they're both in the grief together. And I would say for us, that was one of the difficulties yeah. of past season. And so when we get tired of ministry together, ugh, not being able to comfort each other. It's like, no, I need something from you. Well, no, I need something from you. And we're both trying to get something from each other that we don't always have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think the cool aspect of it is uh, we, we really relate well to each other. We get to work in the same space. Um, she has a forte. I have a forte. Encouraging each other around that. But... Um, I'll use today as a great example. So last night I tag team preach with a friend of mine, got talked into it, didn't prepare, just jumped up on the stage. Not because it's I I, I lack uh, preparation or study. That's a very, very important proper exegesis. But he was preaching on a passage that I've studied before. And so I jumped up there and shared some of my thoughts. Fast forward to a little extra tired last night because I did that. Um, go to bed, wake up this morning, a little bit extra tired, a little bit weary, a little bit, you know, almost cranky because it's like, well, I ministered last night, you know, I gave everything I had. (laughs) Chelsea, Chelsea kind of, uh, got upset with me because I got on a phone call super early and she recently asked me for margin, like, please don't get on. Okay, no, I have to. Okay, here we. All right, people who are watching have an advantage over people who are listening right now. Go ahead, Chelsea. (laughs) I am. Literally, first thing in the morning, sitting on the toilet through a very thin door. And that's not always a quiet experience, first thing in the morning, if you could read between the lines. And Judah is right outside the door. I was in the closet. (laughs) In the closet, on a phone call. And I just was like, nope, too much. I need... Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. It's his fault. (laughs) I need to be able to go use the restroom in my own bathroom in peace. So I... I gave you a bit of So she gives me the whole like, like, you know, and so then I'm like, I'm sensitive and I'm like, my God, I'm just encouraging a fellow minister, you know, and and then my brain goes to this space. She doesn't know what it's like. I, you know, preached, I ministered, I whatever. And then it dawns on me. Oh, dang. She does know what it's like because we work together and she mm. preaches and she's the lead theologian and she writes books and she does. The, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. I know that sounds very silly probably to a lot of people listening, but that camaraderie of I I don't get to play um, victim to this weighty pressured platform that I carry, but it's that we carry it together, made me text her quicker today as I was meeting with Pastor Chad Veach. Sounds like I meet with all these pastors, but my <laughs> friends. And I just said, will you forgive me for my bad attitude? I'm an idiot. Because to be honest, I got to that conclusion, which was the right one. It took me less time because we're a team and she gets it and she knows what I'm going through. And I 
I get to be, I have a lot of buddies who play sports and get paid to do it. And sometimes they come home to their spouse and it's like, my spouse doesn't understand what it's like to have all this pressure in a stadium. But in the case of mm-hmm. Chelsea and I, like we we really do share the platform and the pressure. And it's uh it is an advantage. At least it helps this guy um humble himself a little quicker. And the bonding of we've said so often in ministry, like, hey, we're back to back right now. If we feel yeah. like things are difficult or we're being attacked, just say hey, we're in a position of back to back, which means we don't get to fire any 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 darts or any bullets at each other. And I've got your back and you've got mine back and we're in this. And the the bonding and camaraderie and that, I don't know, sex is always good in those times when we're yeah. like, we're, we're, we're well, now we're getting somewhere. My goal is that we talk about sex more than anyone's ever talked about sex with Carrie. That's <laughs> yeah. Sex well, shit. that's probably true. You know, it doesn't come <laughs> up all the time. So, yeah, you know, but I can also see it the other way, too. Like, if you're in a really discouraging season, um, I can see going down together. Because there are also studies that say, you know, if somebody got a a diagnosis, let's say cancer diagnosis, and the other partner is like, well, I got your back. But if you both go down, if things are really tough at the church, do you ever get into that kind of spiral? Because I talk to, there's a lot of people who are in ministry together as a family, and sometimes when, you know, the water's draining out of the bathtub, it's like, what do you do then? Yeah, that's a great, and, and of course, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, it is. It is. It yeah. has happened. Sometimes it's like, I just wish, you know, I wish Chelsea could just be the lead theologian, do what she does and come home to me because I'm busy, you know, producing a movie. And she just comes home to me and she's like, it's so hard leading in the church. And I could be like, oh, come here. It's okay. Our movie's yeah. going to do well. But but you're right. We're we're there's nowhere to escape almost um, when we're facing each other and going through the same stuff. Haven't so. you found in those seasons? I'm so grateful that we have a community beyond each other and beyond yeah. our family. That we have other friends, other family members, other board members who we can rely on and talk to. And I'm grateful that God has given that in our life. That it's like, hey, I'm not getting from Judah what I need right now. He's not <laughs> helping at all. Calling up somebody else and calling a friend who I know. It's not just the two of us in our community. And yeah, that's been a huge it's actually thing. almost required because of our arrangement. It has required that we cultivate people who are more objective, um, you know, and, and aren't, in, aren't, aren't uh, so inundated by the world that we both work within. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's made us have to be more intentional because when we're not, when we're down together, it's, it's way down. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I mean, my wife and I, we've worked a little bit together, Tony and I, in certain spaces and everything. But I could imagine if we're on this big project together at the church and it's tanking, that home is a, can be a pretty depressing place. Both of you have done, and, and you know, again, I follow you on social media. We've spent a bit of time together. So these are outside impressions. But it seems like both of you have worked hard on cultivating friendships. Is that true? If so, can you talk about that? Because, I mean, you know about the loneliness epidemic. You probably read the Barna stuff that just shows how isolated, depressed, and lonely so many church leaders are. Um, And I mean, again, like you're really close with Rich. You're really close with Chad. um, You're going out for coffee with these folks. You have your own circle, Chelsea. To what extent has that been intentional, necessary life support? And how have you developed that? Mm. I am... Judah is good at this. I am not good at not good at this. And it's been a struggle for me that my closest friends were friends that I've worked with on staff. 
and have had great relationships and camaraderie that way. And then we've needed to make staff changes along with our CEO. And then all of a sudden the friendship changes as well. So I'm in a I'm in a rough friendship season right now, to be honest. And mm. I don't have a good answer for you, except that um it it, it has been lonely for me. But Judah's really good at making friends. And so sometimes I can ride on his coattails and maybe his friends have a spouse. Chelsea, can I just stop and say thank you for admitting that and not coming up with a plastic Mm -hmm. answer? Just thank you. Because I think you really connected with a lot of people. I've been in a friendship lonely season myself. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I last reached out to a counselor a couple of years ago was I'm like, yeah, I've got friends, but like who really knows me deeply well? And that's a that's a growth area for me too. I've made a little bit of progress, but like it doesn't happen automatically. So just thank you for that transparency. Have have you felt like the energy have you you've been in this process? Have you felt like it's been worth it for you? Yeah, we had some of those friends over last night. And it's funny when you're talking about waking up tired on a Monday. I didn't have church yesterday. I went to church, but you know, I'm the founding pastor, which means nothing. So I just went to church with Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then we just had friends over and we stayed around the fire pit in the backyard until almost 10 o'clock last night. And then there was cleanup. And then this morning I got up and I'm kind of like, whoa, like, what hit me? But yeah. It was because that was so rich and so deep and so good. And um, it's a handful of people. I mean, I'm studying this stuff and they say you can have five really close friends and then an additional dozen to 15 who are pretty much in the loop. And beyond that, they're, they're friends, but they're kind of acquaintances. So I'm really working on cultivating those five super close friendships, but it takes time. And ideally, they're people who, as you indicated, don't work for you and you don't work for them. And you're not, you're not trading, right? In yeah. the sense that, oh, great, we're going to get that contract for next year. Or, hey, you can hire me to do X. It's like, these are people who I'm of no functional utility to other than my friendship. And that, that's really good. Yeah. And that's the season I'm in of rebuilding that. And um, the reason I ask you is it takes so much work and it feels like tireless work at the beginning. It is. It feels like, oh, there's there's other things I could be doing with my time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, encouraging to hear. Well, I have a lot of friends. Yeah, you do. do. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you're, you're like an extrovert. Are you an extrovert, Judah? You must be. Yeah. Yeah. Most, mostly, mostly I, I I really shockingly to a lot of people, I, I really enjoy being by myself. I, I, I don't struggle with FOMO. I'm a super extrovert, but I don't, I don't, I don't miss out. I, I really enjoy wherever I am. Probably to a fault. Sometimes I can definitely go away, and my friends will be like, "We can't get a hold of you. Where have you been?" I'll be like, "I don't know. I was just enjoying the days without talking to anyone." But um, I, you know, this metaphor. I don't know if it translates, but I'm going to try to articulate it. I, I, I fear for leaders. If I could just speak specifically to mm. leaders, leaders and friendship, friendship and leaders, yeah. and, and the navigation there. And the reason I think it's very, it's a very unique process and, and, and progression with leaders is because leaders typically that insinuates that that people are following you and and people are around you and people are inspired by you. And I think what ends up happening is 
to, to, to your point, Carrie, you end up, and even to Chelsea's point, you end up kind of being friends with uh, people that you have proximity and, and frequency, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that proximity and frequency creates these relationships. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got all these friends. And, and then proximity and frequency alters and changes, i.e. transition. And before you know it, leaders like us all of a sudden are like, where did all my friends go? They they, yeah. they hate me. They were illegitimate. Well, no, they were just a certain kind of friend that frankly doesn't take as much intentionality, doesn't take as much care and concern, doesn't take a listening ear, follow-up questions. They say one of the most underused social dynamics in the whole wide world is the old follow-up question. We don't know how to tell... Ask people how they're doing, which, by the way, everyone does it. If you're out there listening right now and you're like, I need more friends, I want deeper friendships, I'll give you one little secret. That is asking how people are doing, everyone does that. You want to go to the next level and connect with people? Ask the old follow-up question. And that's Mm -hmm. how, like, it's not just how are you doing? Everyone goes, good, great. And then you ask that follow-up question could be like, why do you feel great? And how does great feel for you? That alone can 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 help you develop friendship. So here's what I would say. I am very concerned for leaders because I think uh, they don't water their own garden. That mm-hmm. starts, of course, with a relationship with Jesus, right? And what they end up doing is by proximity and by frequency, we end up fooling ourselves that we've got all these friends. Jesus loves us. It's amazing, right? The, the, the church building looks good. The people are in attendance. The giving is solid. My sermon series went so well. My podcast have a little extra views. Even my YouTube videos getting some hits. This is amazing. And you start to tell yourself, I'm good in my relationship with God. I'm good in my relationship with my friends. But inevitably, here comes transition. Inevitably, here comes the ebb and flow of life that all of us experience, right? It's the famous sitcom actor who at one point, like everywhere he or she went, they got into the restaurants and the vibes and the clubs and the things and the da-da-da, and the, and the camera pans to them at the US Open because they're in a seat and everyone cheers because it's like, dude, this is sick. Well, guess what? It ebbs and flows. There are sitcom heroes that us three have that my kids don't even know they existed. They don't totally. even know their name because of the ebb and flow of influence and and being a public figure and a leader. So here's what I would say. There's going to be a time for all of us leaders where we're only literally left with the garden we have. And that Mm -hmm. is, do I, have I watered the garden of my intimacy and relationship with Jesus? Like, do I interact with him? Do I like him? Do I talk with him? Do I ask for his, I don't know, his opinion on my life? And then what relationships? Like you said, I think it gets down to three to five guys or gals that you're 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 just pouring water you're pouring water and and the metaphor just continues to grow right because it's like sometimes the seed goes into the ground it's got to die nobody sees it and you're just watering you're watering and i think a lot of people have lost the simple art of caring for people hey how are you today hey just thinking about you got you on my mind i'm praying for you I have a I have a dirty little secret and Chelsea hates that term and I'm so pumped about this topic because it means so much to me but honestly you want to be friends deeply with someone start talking to God about him I'm being so hmm. serious start telling God Lord I like Carrie Newhoff you know, we met in Mexico that one time. I sure like Carrie. I just pray for Carrie and Tony right now. God, I pray for their marriage. I pray. Well, guess what? My heart starts to open up to Carrie. My heart mm. starts to think about Carrie. 
And next time we're together, whether you know it or not, you'll be able to tell. And you'll be like, man, that guy seems genuine. That guy seems authentic. And so I think that there are little um, ways to kind of develop deep friendships that are so small and so seemingly insignificant, but I think go a really, really long way. I have narrowed down the depth of relationship that I have with about three to five guys, but this is going to shock a lot of people. I would talk to those guys every single day, every yeah. single day we talk. So guys are like, dude, I love like your, your, the brothers you have in your life. I'm like, well, it's, we talk every day, man. Like it's, there's a depth there and a trust there and a love there and a care there because even when you don't feel like it, and Chelsea will tell you this because sometimes she's in a bathroom and it's 7.45 in the morning and I'm <laughs> on a phone investing and in, 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 in pouring water on their garden and they're pouring water on my garden. Mm -hmm. So much more to say there. The metaphors I'm sure broke down and I feel a little manic, but I just, this friendship thing means so much to me because I think it's, uh, it, it oftentimes is the substance of life and living. There's a, there can be a reticence, though, in really breaking the ice with people. So back to what you were saying, Chelsea, like we swapped cell numbers when we hung out for a few days and you're like, yeah, you're going to be in L.A. Like, hit me up. And you know what? I mean, we texted a little bit back and forth and I'm like, oh, gosh, they're so busy and I'll be in L.A. again next time. And the next time in L.A., I'm going to hit you up. And if you're busy that day or whatever, but do you find that sometimes there's this fear, not with those three to five that you're talking mm. with all the time, but like this fear of like, oh, they're too busy for me or they're, they're too whatever. Like, do you get into that space sometimes too, Chelsea? Is that part of the, the oh, hesitancy? You're, you're kind. I'm probably more selfish. I think, oh, if I open this door to this person, then they're going to have expectations of me that I'm not going to be able to meet. <laughs> <laughs> I think how busy I am, not other people. Fair, fair. But, well, that's true. But to me, I hate letting people down and disappointing people. And so I feel like if I just don't even start, then I'm not going to let them down. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. what the psychology is behind that, but that's yeah. my fear. I struggle deeply with not bugging people, thinking that they're too too busy for sure. You you have that too, where you're worried that, that you're bugging people. You guys, I was going to talk to you about this at some point today, but you've got friendships with some very well-known people, celebrities, so to speak, right? Like... You're hanging out with the Biebers, Justin and Haley, with Chris Pratt, with Russell Wilson, others. Um, what is different about those relationships? And what is just so baseline human about those relationships? Such a great question. I love that you said baseline human. Um, yeah. It uh, started out when we were youth pastors for a lot of years. And at that point, you know, the, that was junior high, high school and college at the time. And the college quarterback for UW started coming to our church and started coming over to our house. And we started getting to know him. And he was just this really incredible oh. young man who had just, just met Jesus. And all of a sudden people started to know, oh, hey, can I use his name? People are like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Jake Locker. And he was the, the hmm. quarterback for UW at the time. And our, our son wanted a Jake Lockle haircut. He couldn't say, oh, well, look like Jake Lockle, dad. <laughs> so, I mean, he wrote to our boys and people started asking, Hey, well, can I, can I get their autograph? Would they sign my book? Well, could you get them to do this? Hey, maybe they could do, maybe he could do a mm. Q&A at church. And all of a sudden we realized that, that starting actually with Jake, that 
people want to use him as a resource instead of treat him as a human being. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. all the way back then, we just realized we are going to the pe- be the people who never ask him for anything, but we are yeah. going to actually use that baseline human, that true humanity, that God-given image that this individual has, not for what anybody can do for them, but because of who they are made in the image of God. And for us, all the way back in those years with Jake, that just set the tone and the standard for us that that's, that's going to be our, the way we're going to live our life by. And it's, it's helped us to yeah. see the humanity in people. And I think that's such a valuable asset to people who are fine, or who are usually just treated like a commodity for what they can be traded for to be seen as a human has been just a really special part about those relationships. Yeah. Um, that's so, so good. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh man, I get so excited because I don't want to deep dive, but I, you know, my only response to this point, Carrie, would be, um, would be like, uh, it is so underlooked and underestimated. Um, people, public figures oftentimes are, um, things are assumed about them. For instance, that they're encouraged. They're already encouraged. They already know how great they are. They already, I would call it just the opposite. There is such a vacuum there and because everyone's assumed. In some cases, their own family assumes. They, they don't need any. And what I have discovered is like, uh, I was with one of my buddies last mm-hmm. night who plays in the National Basketball Association. Sure. And I just kept saying all day long, you're the best shooter on the planet. Bro, I think you're so incredible. I where a lot of a lot of people like, well, let's not talk about their movie. Let's not talk about their athletic achievement. Let's not, what I've discovered is just like anybody else. It's like, really, bro? You really not only do I think you're great, I this is another thing I love about you. Here's another thing I love about you. And it's all all stuff that I really admire, but um letting them know that in this space, Jude and Chelsea, we are going to we're gonna identify the things you do great. Just because a bunch of people know you do it great, I think it's important to underscore even more and amplify it and be like, dude, it is so incredible. Your gift is amazing. Bro, that latest movie, dude, that one scene, how in the world did you do that? Bro, that was so incredible. You want to, to be honest, bro, it wasn't even the script. What? That wasn't even in the script? Dude, you're incredible. Like, and... As simple as that sounds, um, I, I realized early on that Chelsea and I, like, if you've ever been a youth pastor out there, ladies and gentlemen, like, you know how to talk to someone that is, like, uh, 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 completely um, almost, uh, how do I say, you go to high schools and you meet with high school students, and this is how the conversation would go. The youth pastor visits at lunchtime. Hey, how are you? Let's say his name's Billy. Hey, Billy, how you doing? Good. Hey, talk to your mom and dad on Sunday. They they seem pretty excited about your football season. Yeah. Well, hey, um, what are you excited about? I don't know. Super cool lunchroom. Yeah. What are you going to do later today? I don't know, video games. You're right. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Carrie, you develop like, okay, I'm going to carry the conversation. I'm going to find ways to encourage this human. I'm not going to lie, but I'm going to find something good. Bro, did you just get your ear pierced, Billy? That's a sick earring, bro. 
Oh, mm. yeah, really? You like it? Yeah, where'd you get it done? That's incredible. And those same tools, I've discovered that a lot of people who have influence, a lot of people are just so shy, they don't know what to say. They kind of stop being human and they stop like encouraging them. And so I think Charles and I have just been those... Um, I know this sounds silly, but like I'll go on private planes sometimes and I'll be like, bro, this plane is insane, bro. <laughs> like, cause it is. And they're like, dude, thank you for saying that. Where everybody else is too cool for school. And they're just like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, buddy gives me tickets to a game. I'm like sending him photos. I'm like, dude, these seats were incredible, bro. This is amazing. Thank you for hosting us. Thank you for having us. And that, that really, really goes a long way. So I think a lot of people underestimate that if you know how to encourage and build people up, which by the way, if you're going to be a leader, I highly recommend those skills. Um, it's, it's using that same gift of encouragement, which I think sometimes we think famous people have too much of it. But it's also realizing the constant criticism that they get for their feedback yeah. for their mm -hmm. life. Like here we Fair. are, it's Monday. Well said. So first day of NFL was yesterday. Well and imagine all the sports talk shows that are sitting around publicly critiquing, criticizing, evaluating, analyzing all of these men who just played football, who literally put their bodies on the line yesterday to do their job are sitting around today being critiqued, criticize. I'll never forget the first time we were with Bubba and Angie Watson. He's a professional golfer. Mm -hmm. It was Masters oh, yeah. Week. And he had the he, right. He had the golf channel on. It was before he had won. And all of a sudden his name came up and we're in a room with them just making dinner. And the pundits just started criticizing Bubba and something about him at that point, not knowing. And I had sat around and listened to sports players be critiqued for our whole life. Never, yeah. never thought once about it. All of a sudden we're sitting in a room with the very people who are being critiqued and watching the demeanor of their face change and shift as they're being publicly critiqued and realizing, no, these individuals are human and that critique hurts and it matters. And do you ever remember the old leadership adage that would say, it'll take 10 nice things to undo one mean thing that was mm -hmm. spoken? I have no idea if there was science behind it, but that was an adage that we went by. Then imagine how much mm. it is for people mm. whose jobs are publicly critiqued, whether it's movies or music or, or athletics, how much encouragement is necessary to undo that criticism that they're constantly under. Yeah. So that's been a fun thing for us to be able to do. Just think we're going to be the encouragers. And it's, it's been a, it's been something that we feel really honored that we'd be able to. Yeah. And, and, and honor is the right word. It's like honor these friends who carry a pressure that is very unique to their public mm -hmm. position. And just honoring that, always kind of going, bro, this is a lot, I'm with you, you know, and and and, and really emphasizing who they are as a human, uh, not just always uh, the talent they have. Mm -hmm. No, you know what? You remind me of the old adage that nobody you meet has ever been over-encouraged. There's not a <laughs> single human who's like, oh, that's way too much, way too much. Like when we sat down for dinner that night and Chelsea, you were next to me, you were like, I love your leadership podcast. And then you just went on for about five minutes about it and the work I do. And I'm like, first of all, I couldn't believe it. Secondly, you know, we all feel that and we all need it. And you need to know that you're making a difference. And even more so when you become the subject of memes and jokes and it's just a free for all, right? 
And um, any other, you know, we live in this this culture where celebrities are always being criticized, including in the church. Now, I'm all for, hey, if there's a scandal here, let's bring it out in the daylight. Let's deal with it. Let's let's handle it. The church needs to be healthy. I'm all in favor of that. But what are what are some of the unique pressures you feel if you have a high profile position like the two of you do? And I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify it to say. You know, it's easy to say, well, Judah and Chelsea, they're like totally celebrity pastors, da-da-da-da-da. Hey, if you're a pastor of a church in a small town and you have 150 people at your church, guess what? You're a celebrity. That's right. Yep. You may not have signed up for it, but you feel that pressure. You're living in the fishbowl. You're living under the spotlight. People are watching you. You just happen to have a few more headlines than the average pastor. So what are some of the pressures that you have had to navigate as a couple, as human beings, because of the level of, of influence and um, I think notoriety is a positive term, but the, the level of knownness that you have as a couple. I'll speak specifically to this role as a mom and as a wife, since mm-hmm. you don't have many couples on, let me speak yeah. to you women. Go for it. Um, for us specifically in ministry, the pressure that I have felt that our kids would validate our ministry or that mm-hmm. their behavior or that how they turn out will somehow either enforce or negate the work that we're doing. And wow. I'll never forget for me, when we had our first son, he was about two years old, and Judah's parents were the pastors at the church at the time, and we were sitting on the front row, and he decided to throw a two-year-old fit, like a, like only a two-year-old can, kicking, screaming, and his, in the, his grandpa is up there preaching, and I have to carry him off the front row. Out the, you know, that yeah, I'm sweating. I can't believe this is happening. I'm so embarrassed carrying him out, about to go, you know, just really let him know that his his behavior is not appropriate. And the Holy Spirit, just in his really kind, gentle way, just stopped me in that moment and said, Chelsea, do not discipline him out of your embarrassment or out of your shame. And I realized mm. I was about to. And I've seen that. Um, replay over and over in what we put on our on our social media regarding our kids and just putting their highlight reels. And all of a sudden we're putting this expectation onto our children and that we feel like they are our proof that our ministry life is effective. And yes, I know there are biblical standards for a ministry leader and their family and having their house in, in order, but I think we put way too much pressure on ourselves mm. and we've put it way too much on our children that they feel like they have to behave and perform in a certain way that is outside of who God has called them or made them to be, or their seasons of development in ministry. And if I could give one gift to families in ministry, it'd be take that pressure off of yourself, take it off of your children. Don't let that be a weight that you carry. And it's it's been a challenge. There's when your kids, you know, aren't doing things right or great or aren't being socially, you know, oh, yeah. in the eye or doing all the things. Um, but just taking that weight off of ourselves and being intentional with it because that's not creating the life. We actually don't live a public life. We live a private life in the sense of the life that we live is a life that is a marriage that's real, that's real kids. And the, the public things are peripheral to the real private life that we live and and guarding that and protecting that, not in posting or not posting, but yeah. in our perspective of it and knowing that our priority is our private life, not our public life, especially how we relate to our kids. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed with all of the elements that that go with um, any any sort of platform. And I really appreciate what you said, Carrie, because I think 
you know, true to humans, uh, we always, always want to use the extreme as the definition, you know, and it's like, unless you have 400 million followers, you're not mm. famous. Well, it is all relative. And I think there's thousands of people listening to this right now who, who, who this is very relevant and, and very necessary for us to consider, hey, yeah. publicly and privately, how am I navigating those two verticals in my life? Because that's a part of leadership, publicly and privately. Now, obviously, you don't want those to get too far from each other. Um, I, I, I tend to think that in the New Testament narrative, this idea of brokenness and weakness um, is very different than how we, our treatment of it in culture. Our treatment of it in culture is cover the brokenness, cover the weakness, never show uh, weakness, never show a crack, always be on, always be great. And I got good news. The culture's changed and the world's changed. And I think proverbially the, 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 the platforms are need to get lower. And I think the preachers, ministers, and leaders of the spiritual kind need to be more candid and open and honest. And I got good news. The culture loves it. The world mm. that we in today loves it. I think it's a setup to close that discrepancy or disparity between public and private. And so I am a, um, it's funny, last night, Matthew 18, we're talking about that. And it says, unless you become like a little child, and of course, in the Greek, in its root, it actually means wounded lamb, which of course, the picture mm. is the shepherd takes the wounded lamb and puts it on his shoulders. And I think we're all wounded lambs. Doesn't matter yeah. even if you're, you know, <laughs> Bo Jackson, we're all wounded yeah. little lambs. And letting our... uh our brokenness and weakness be more um, visible, I think can be a really, really healthy exercise and a healthy trajectory of life. And so I'm going to be from this point going forward as a public figure in, in our own little way, committed to um, put my stuff on front street. There's decorum mm -hmm. and discretion, of course, and you need to be discreet. And Chelsea and I are going to like dissect our favorite sex positions. You know, that's probably a little <laughs> too far, but you know, like what, what, where is that line? And I think frankly, in, in the church, uh, we have taken it too far in terms of, sorry, not the lack of discretion, but honestly, we have tried to paint ourselves. I call it the man of God syndrome. Forgive me. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a crude way of saying it, but it's like, I just got to be the man of God. Well, mm -hmm. well, but you're a wounded lamb too. And, and, and share some of your wounds and share some of your pain and share some of your temptation and uh, I think it it, it it takes out a lot of the venom and the sting and the power and the pull from some of these proclivities and temptations when you put it on front street and say, hey, here's my weakness. Here's my challenge. Here's what I'm going through. And my dad used to say it's been heard a hundred million times. People are going to relate far more to your weaknesses than they are to your strengths. So let it be. Let it be. Can I brag on you too, Judah, for a second? Judah is really good at this. And he has said several times while he's preaching, yeah, I have an anger problem. I'll get angry. I'll throw a golf club. I'll yell at the kids, all whatever. And the freedom that that has brought about for him to just be open and honest about himself as a broken lamb. Is that what you said? Wounded lamb. As a wounded lamb <laughs> uh, with an anger problem. It's been amazing what that's done for me as his wife, what that has done for our children. It has taken away any shame in it. It's taken away any feeling of, oh, is my dad trying to pretend to be something in the pulpit that he's not in real life for our kids and for his whole family to see Judah being honest about who he is has brought so much freedom. And we will laugh about it and not in a disrespectful way, 
but it's, it's really created even such great personal family benefits for you to be open with those weaknesses and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And, and my private life is the driver of my public life. It's not the other way around. Yeah. So my private life is in the driver's seat. And that's what drives public. It's not the other way. And I think that's what ends up happening have, a lot. We have a private life that has public elements. That's right. We do not have a public life that has private elements. Can you explain exactly what that means? That's a really fascinating metaphor. So the priority and energy and focus of my life is to be um, the, the, the truest me um, when, when no one is looking and then let that initiative, that perspective, that paradigm, that energy overflow into my public life. So I would go on record, take this as far if we can speak specifically to preachers. I, I am, I, I, I would much rather have a preacher get on stage, he or she and bleed in front of me than, um, the, the opposite, which is I get up on stage and I present myself in a way that I wish I was, I hoped I was, I wanted to be, but I'm really not. And mm. honestly, Carrie, it's one of the reasons I am attracted to what you do and how you lead and how you love, because you were before it was popular, before people were all doing it, before people were admitting their own challenges and breakdowns and exhaustion you were out there outing yourself and you were you were about that before it even became a trend because it's getting a little trendy now and that's awesome. I hope it is a trend. But <laughs> yeah. I want to applaud you because, it, and you probably did it from desperation, which is what a lot of us end up doing. And people are like, wow, we commend you. Like, well, I didn't do it to be commended. I did it mm -hmm. because the disparity, the discrepancy between public and private was killing me and I was exhausted and I couldn't keep it up. So I think Chelsea and I are, it, the awesome thing is it's not like, it's not like we are managing public and private. We're just giving ourselves to be who we are and we're letting the public persona develop as it will. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's messy and it's painful, but, but there's a consistency that I can live with. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? Yeah. That? You, you said at the beginning prioritization, and I would say the same thing that mm -hmm. we, we love our neighbors because we want to love our neighbors because that's what we believe following mm -hmm. Jesus leads us to do. We don't do kind acts in our neighborhood so we can post them on social media to say, look at what we're doing now. From that, there may be an outflow of a post on social media here or there, but we're not doing private activities for public consumption. Yeah, they're not, no, they're not photo ops, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, doing no, I get that. And you know what I found, because I think I lived my 30s, this was pre-social media, was it? it was just sort of emerging <laughs> when I was in my 30s, right? Because you get to a certain age. But anyway, I found that, that like, okay, I don't want to talk about my temper. I don't want to talk about... Um, you know, how tired I am and everybody going, you're, you're a workaholic, you're going to burn out. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And then of course I burn out and everything changes. But what I've discovered in the last decade and a half, almost two decades now, since that burnout happened is I get to wake up and I get to be myself. Now, hopefully that's a long obedience in the direction of Jesus. Hopefully you notice something different in me today than you did five years ago, and I'm growing in grace and the fruits of the Spirit. But it makes it infinitely repeatable. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just get to, so my next writing, I just wrote the introduction to what could become my next book, kind of surprised me on Friday. 
And I'm like, yeah, that authentically is who I am. I'm not trying to research a topic. I will research it, but I'm not like, no, this is flowing out of who I am. And this interview, this conversation, you'll notice how many scripted questions we got to, right? Uh, one. So that's a good interview. That's a great conversation with amazing people. But like, it makes it, there's no gap between your, your actually, this is really funny. Tony had a birthday uh, this year and my boys and I have two sons. We spent six months trying to pull off a surprise party and we did it. It happened a couple of weeks ago and she had no idea. No idea. And I mean, it was elaborate. We had 70 people in the backyard, had a wow. project, like a, a, a party manager or whatever you call those people, project coordinator uh, hired because I couldn't do it. It was beyond my ability. People flew in, they drove in for it. It was amazing. We pulled it off. And afterwards, I just started sleeping. I was so tired and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I started feeling really great, like super energized, more than I had in months and I'm an amateur psychologist, total amateur. And I'm like, I think it's because I was keeping a secret for the last six months. Now it was a good secret, but I had to lie to her over and over and over again about what was going on. We hid it under another party that we said we were having. So it was all like benevolent. It was all good. But now I'm like sleeping like a baby. And I'm like, I think it was because of that duplicity, even though it was all for the sake of good. You know what I mean? So when when I see that, even if you've got a little bit of disconnect between your private and your public, I it's, it's what's that psalm? Is it Psalm 32? My bones were sapped like in the heat of summer. I was so exhausted, so I confessed my sin to you, oh God, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I totally, yeah. I totally, and I, you know what? I'll test this out on you guys. End of end of sermon. Um I, I don't think Gen Z and younger millennials want it any other way. They're going to smell the pretense before you can even drop it. Is that fair? That's very fair. And I think what an opportunity for leaders everywhere who are willing to listen to this. Chelsea, Carrie, and I are pleading with you, close the gap, have the courage, trust God, trust yourself, out yourself, out yourself, just out yourself. Mm-hmm. Everybody out there, let's just start outing ourselves. And there's something about it. When someone outs themselves, it's like, oh, I always tell my buddies all the time, hey, just tell me what's going on. Whatever it is, we can we can work with it. I don't care how bad it's gotten. I don't care if you've stolen money from the U.S. government. I mean, I do. But like, whatever it is, just <laughs> and we'll work from there. His grace is sufficient. I, I literally believe the 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 the. There is the the enemy is a dog on a leash. The devil does not. He's a toothless lion. He's a fangless cat, but he works in cloaks and daggers and mirrors and smoke and 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 those facades. And I just think what an opportunity we have as communicators, leaders, and preachers in the church to just start out in ourselves and everybody will join you and go, really? Me too, bro. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do this together. And um, I hope that that continues to um, be an explosive element, a beautiful el- element of the church going forward. And I, and I predict that if we don't do it, there's some 20-somethings and 30-somethings who are going to do it. So um, they'll outlive us, and they'll they'll take the mic, and things will get better. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you one or two church questions, because—and then maybe we can do a round two at some point in the future. But this, well, is, this has been a fascinating conversation. And thanks for being so open. Thanks for just talking about mm-hmm. the two of you and your life together and that side of ministry. 
But when David was on, David Kroll was on um, last year, I think, we talked about what COVID did, the reduction of services. And I mean, I was on your website getting ready for this. You have a monthly experience now, if I got this right, one in Seattle, one in LA. And basically, your services went from how many? A bajillion, 13 locations. You're on a plane flying here, there, everywhere, multiple services, da 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 You're down to two monthly services in different cities on the West Coast. Can you talk about some of the rationale behind that, how it's going? We'll start there. I'll say this, and I'm going to try to, being succinct and uh, organized is, is a very difficult thing when you ask stuff I love, uh, cause I just mm-hmm. get all these thoughts that flood my brain in the best, most energetic way. But, um, collecting Christians was not the idea of God. But if we're not, if we're not honest, you know, we can't make progress here. We are living in an era in the technological rise, right? In the, uh, making smaller the planet because of technology, information, and communication, right? This new technological boom has brought upon this idea that, that, um, you know, you can have pastors, ministers, and preachers that you hear every day that live clear across the world from you. So as a result, there's been an extra rise of star preachers, star ministers, star churches, meaning, um, if they move to your town, they could empty your church. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to mm-hmm. talk about this, but the, the rise of planting churches and the grand opening has 2,000 people in attendance. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody, but I wish it was 2,000 new converts, but it's not. It's 2,000 Christians who love you and are a fan of you, and so your church is almost insta-church. Right now, the days of this, Carrie, we're all old enough on this podcast to know that wasn't that 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 didn't exist in the past. There was no 100%. such thing. Like maybe twenty years Dr. ago, it didn't exist. Yeah, maybe Billy Graham or Earl Roberts could do it, but like basically, there was like three people that could do that. Now there's a whole list of of men and women who could move to any respective, in some cases, parts of the world, and start a pretty significant church overnight. So that has to be in the equation that we start to consider when it comes to scaling a church, the model of the church, and how we're doing. And the reason for this is that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, which is to say every single man, woman, boy, and girl alive on the planet right now are all his kids. They're all his kids. They're all his kids. So the vision of God is not for some of his kids. It's for all of his kids. Just like Judah and Chelsea Smith believe in Zion, Elliot, and Grace. I don't have a vision for two of my kids. I have a vision for all of my kids. I have a passion for all of my kids. God has a passion for all the kids. Even the kids we don't like, you don't like, they don't like, they're all his kids and he's obsessed with them, right? So I believe that the partner that God is asking for in the proclamation of the gospel, the extension of the kingdom, the raising up of disciples and mature believers is a passion for all of the people on the planet. 
So I do not believe I have license or even wiggle room or leeway to start making plans that exclude some of his kids. We've got to include all the kids. So here's what happened in my life. Because of men and women who trusted Chelsea and I, we gained a platform and a following that basically lended itself to if we went to certain cities, people would gather to come hear us. And it was like instantly we felt like, whoa, we're making such a difference. But if we're not careful, we end up collecting Christians. And it occurred to me, Carrie, at some point in my life and career and leadership, that if the game is who collects the most Christians, um, we could do really well in that. But when I, when this life is over and I stand before the king of the jungle, the lion of Judah, the leader of all leaders, I believe that what matters to that father, the father of us all, is that did we align with him and, and obviously, this is everything to me, but it's like, um, I just woke up and I was like, I can't just collect Christians. And I, it makes for a really great life. And we paid for a lot of big buildings and a lot of people loved our conferences. And I love all of that stuff. But I just knew for Chelsea and I, and I don't mean to project this on any preacher or leader out there listening please, you don't want to follow our path because it's crazy and it's painful because we went from a super mega church in Seattle to, to not. Because I decided that what if I stop being there every Sunday? Will the Is the community robust enough to continue to serve each other, love each other, and gather? And what we discovered, Carrie, is that for a lot of people, without the presence of their quasi-famous preacher, they, they, they didn't really want to engage much anymore. And it was almost as if I left the faith. I don't blame anyone for that because that's the constructs and that's the way we built this and that's okay. But I think Chelsea and I have become literally consumed with the idea that while there remains children who have not come home to their father, that we have to build programs, processes, and systems that lend and tend and turn and twist and angle towards those humans. So if you come to one of our gatherings, you got to know, Carrie, that I'm thinking about the friend that you brought because Carrie Newhoff has spent 11 years loving his neighbor. And the day finally came that his neighbor was like, you know what, bro? I'd love to come across town with you and hear that preacher guy you listen to. And my mind just begins to become consumed with Carrie Newhoff and the love that he's had for his neighbor, and your neighbor has decided to come into this really weird club, which feels sometimes like a golf club that's closed to everyone <laughs> except members, and you brought them to this club, and they don't know the dress and the decorum and collared shirt and what they're supposed to wear, and they're there, and you are on pins and needles thinking to yourself, Oh, Judah, make it a good one today. Please don't preach one of those weird sermons that's full of Christian cliches and cloaked language that's inside club language, please. And so over process of time, Chelsea and I have friends, you have friends that we want them to know their heavenly father. We decided, what if we built a whole church in that direction? And by the way, for those wondering out there, what's the best discipleship tool in the world? I will go to my grave believing this that the way you will grow as a disciple most is by pouring your life into someone so that they can become a disciple. And guess who learns the most? The teacher. Guess who learns the most? The preacher. Mm -hmm. And so Chelsea and I, in, 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 a, 
in an emotional way. That's just a quick little try to express some of the reasons we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, and part Jude and I are very opposite. So he'll tell you in an emotional way. I'll tell you in a statistical way why we're doing what we're yeah. doing. Um, you know, part at the same time that Judah was starting to feel all this in 2016, a survey came out that said 96% of church growth is transfer growth. That mm-hmm. means that in a congregation of a thousand people, only 40 of those people were there because they went from hell to heaven. They went from eternally damned to eternally saved, whatever your theology is about that. And we realized here we are as a congregation spending millions of dollars every year for 40 people. And we had more than that, but we were 10,000 mm-hmm. times. So for 400 people, 400 people got saved in our church. Statistically. Now, of course, we all think we're better. And, oh, but we're the, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Not my church, not my church. Uh-huh. Um, but if we're better than somebody's worse, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's, that's the average. And we just couldn't settle with that. And we were... We love, we love to work. You talk about being a workaholic. I mean, at that point, we were 11 services on a Sunday, fly down to LA, two services on a Wednesday, fly back up to Seattle and do it all over again and run staff and run the whole thing. So it wasn't that we wanted to work, but we were in this for souls. But what we found was that it's not just about souls. It's also about spiritual growth. And I'm sure you know that the Move book uh, was a study, I think, from Bill Hybels Church, which is a study of over a quarter million people, 250,000 people over the course of 10 years. And realizing, and this blew our mind, and it was a little bit discouraging, and I almost hate to say it as a leadership podcast, but I'll just, it was part of our journey, so I'll just say (laughs) that this survey on spiritual growth that was the longest it's ever been done discovered that there was no difference in an individual's spiritual growth between the person who attended a weekend service 40 times a year or four times a year, that their spiritual growth was the same. But what does make a difference is a daily practice of at least four times a week of spending time in prayer and meditation. Three to five minutes. Yeah. And we realized we are giving so much of our resources, not just in buildings for 40 people or for 4% of the people to get saved, but also then for the 96% of the people who were left, we're believing that they should be growing spiritually, but we're putting all this energy, effort, and resource into this programming that statistically is telling us isn't necessarily working. And so we went, you know, thank you, Jesus, for your word. We went back to Acts, back to the Bible, back to the roots of the early church and just and just discovered what if we could dream again for how to lead church in a way that wasn't tied to the traditions that we grew up in, which was not an easy exercise to do because we love the traditions that we grew up love. in. We were both church kids. We grew up in church. I love Every, everything that's every, every camp, every conference, every retreat, every advance, every whatever, we loved all of it. And so reimagining that was not an easy process either internally or externally. But as we studied, we feel like God has given us an amazing, an amazing pattern for how to not just build church, but build disciples. And that is simply through a daily, weekly, monthly practice that every day at church home, you get a daily guided prayer seven to seven mm-hmm. minutes and it's a daily guided prayer there's a scripture meditation involved with it that every week you gather with your friends and community to develop real community you know that that five that group of five people that you're talking about and you sit and you watch a weekly service together that's digitally delivered to you it's great preaching normally judah so it's phenomenal and and that you grow that way but then you're you're not just sitting looking at the back of heads but you're sitting around a circle within your community with a weekly service and then that monthly, there is an experience that's the larger body of Christ, the larger gathering in your area to get together and to grow that way. 
And so it's in a lot of ways, it's a shifting of resources. That's why you saw that once once a month gathering in Seattle, in Los Angeles. But we believe it's God-ordained shifting of resources so that we can equip people daily, weekly, monthly to be in genuine community, to truly love their neighbors, and to change that 96% that we have to go and see all of God's children come home and meet Him and grow and know Him in a new way. And it's been it's it's been a journey um, of feeling like we're doing what God has asked us to do, but letting a lot of people down in the process. And because um, we all we we love the traditions that we have and the yeah. way we grew up, and it's been difficult for people to uh, um, understand and and rightfully so uh, the new way of doing things. But and I but I just predict if we can make this shift, Carrie, I think we can spend thousands to reach millions. Meanwhile, we've mm. been spending millions to reach hundreds. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to be far more effective in the future. And I think even the uh, the culture and the economy is already speaking to that in its own way. And I also believe that we can facilitate the Great Commission. You know, yeah. last I checked, Jesus still said, go out into all the world all and the preach world. the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But if our church buildings in every city were filled on Sunday, there still is not nearly enough capacity to reach our cities, to reach our communities. Church buildings hmm. are not built big enough to house. Never and so happened, what? Yeah. who is going to create a model? Who is going to create something to say, hey, this could actually be something. People practicing their faith in their homes and their everyday spaces while still having face-to-face community yep. that we could begin to see the Great Commission fulfilled with people in community. Ch- churches of millions are the future and there's going to be tons of them. Churches of millions <laughs> of people in multiple languages meeting all over the world in all in all different kinds of spaces. That's the future. It's going to happen. Well, you know that TV series you're watching, you come to the end of a season and you're like, they better have a season two. Like, come on, come on. And when, when is it going to drop? I feel like that's where we are in this conversation. I hope to do a season two with you guys. Um, maybe next year we'll come back and uh, nerd out on, on the future church. What do you think about that? I would love that. And I just got to say, Carrie, to both you and Tony, um, you don't have to do what you're doing and you don't have to stand in the space that you're standing, but I thank you for it. Um, it's, uh, you are a man that is given to what you believe with all your heart is the way and the truth and, and, and the life. And even if it's not popular, even if it's not exactly what everybody wants to hear, you're committed to that. And I, I just commend you and I hope that you feel the wind at your back. And I hope that you feel like you got friends like Chelsea and I cheering you on and, Let's uh, let's spend some more dinners together, and I'll meet you in Mexico again. <laughs> yeah, Judah, Chelsea, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for being so transparent over this last hour and a bit, and I'm looking forward to more. Us too. Thank you. I love the honesty, man. We have had a string of really authentic, real behind the scenes interviews, and I don't know about you, but those are often my favorite. And uh, we got more of them coming up. For example, next episode, Mike Todd, more on that in just a minute. But first, check out our sponsors. Join 10 by 10 as they seek to reach 10 million young people over the next decade. Go to tenx10.org, 10by10.org to learn about the mission, how you can help, and then get behind Convoy of Hope as they help millions of people around the world respond to natural disasters. There's one almost every week. They've responded to more than 65 so far this 
year, go to convoy.org slash carry. That's C-A-R-E-Y, convoy.org slash carry. Well, Mike Todd, on the next episode, we come back. He is honest, open, and transparent. And here's an excerpt. This man was blind, but he wasn't deaf. Like if somebody was hawking up a loogie, like it's something (laughs) like, you know what that is. So that man had to choose to stay there because it was better to go through something messy and potentially get his healing than to stay in the condition he was in. And so um, I did the example. The crazy thing is this was my third time doing this example. This I've done it. I had done it two times prior and at another prominent church. Wow. There was nothing that ever happened because of it. So I called my brother up on the stage. Now, this is my blood brother. This, I mean, we've uh, done everything together. I have four brothers, five Todd boys. I mean, drink after each other, fight, like blood everywhere. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is my real brother. And I think it was a combination of it being COVID season as well as uh, just it being disgusting, which was the point of the example um, that I did it and I put it on his eyes and it's like nasty and all the other stuff. And what ended up happening was That's when I learned that our platform had grown beyond people who were actually invested in life transformation. Mm -hmm. There were people that were watching and that were devouring the content that were there on the fringes to find something to be able to discredit the message. Mm -hmm. And before we even got out of church, I mean, TMZ, CNN, all this. How could you do this to another black man? And Also coming up, backstage with John Christ. Then we're delving into AI. So we're going to move from the heart, which we seem to be on these days, back into the head. There's a really big thing going on, and that is artificial intelligence. We are going to talk to some of the leading experts in the world and practitioners. And, uh, well, we got four episodes on that coming up. And then... Back to our regularly scheduled programming. We've got Jenny Catron coming up, Louis Giglio, Philip Yancey, William Vanderblumen, Kyle Eidelman, and a whole lot more. And one more thing before we go, have you yet subscribed to my On The Rise newsletter? I absolutely love putting it out. It's one of my favorite things to do. And every Friday, I send just a short email. It's not particularly long. And what do we cover? Well, things of real interest. Usually, I link to some kind of study that you might want to pay attention to as a leader. And then I have really curious things. Sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they're interesting. Recently, I just sent out a newsletter with a link to a site that has you figure out whether the image you're looking at is real or fake. You know how hard that is to do and rather addictive as well? Plus a lot of other things like the origin of vanilla. Where did that come from? Why did it become associated with being boring? And uh, well, some substantive things as well. Anyway, over 100,000 leaders subscribe. You can be one of those. Subscribe today. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com. We'll send you a free sample newsletter and then you'll get it every Friday. Easy to subscribe, easy to unsubscribe. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com to sign up today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Man, I love the fact that we get to do this. I value your time. We try to bring you the very best guests. And when you leave a rating and review, share it with your friends. That's what enables us to keep doing this. So we'll see you next time. And I hope in the meantime that today's episode helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.